Hi, everybody. This is Patty Negri. Welcome to the Witching Hour. Yes, we are well into December and the holiday season. So happy holidays, whatever you celebrate. Um, I have a great guest for you today. I have the author of Kabbalah for Wiccans, Jack Chanick. But before we bring in Jack, I can't wait to meet him myself. But before we bring in Jack, let me tell you a little bit about where's Patty? Where's Patty? I am. I just keep looking for her everywhere. She was just, I, 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 I'm going to shut up now. Um, I just got back. If you were listening to this when we first dropped, Monday, December 13th, I just got back from Vegas. Vegas was fabulous. But I can't tell you what happened because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> uh, but I'm sure it was really great. And I hope you were there to meet us, to take photos with us, my My Paranormal family, my Paraflix family. Um, it... I had the best time, such a good time. I can't even remember, but I will. <laughs> um, I Next weekend, I'm going to be out of town. I'm going to be in the Los Angeles area, Pasadena area, for Seasons Screamings. Yes, it's a beautiful event. Um, the 17th through the 19th here in the L.A. area, put on by the same fabulous people who do Midsummer Scream. Yeah, so it's going to be fun and spooky and holiday and spooky and fun and spooky. Um, I am going to be on the 19th. I'm going to be a part of a panel where we're going to do some spooky holiday stories. So if you're in the L.A. area, Pasadena area, check it out. Seasons, screamings. What better way to go into the holidays than that? Um, as far as classes, I still have my Monday singles class. You can buy that. You could watch the ones you missed on, on the video, we send you the video right out. The Tuesday Paranormal Investigator class is still going on. And if for those of you, I keep getting asked about seances, I'm doing at this point one holiday Zoom seance, and that's on the 28th. It's probably going to sell out really fast because we keep it kind of intimate. So everybody really gets to feel part of it, almost like we're around my dining room table in a little Brady Bunch screen or yeah. But it is what it is. So that's the 28th. Check out my school, University Magicus. So Patty is here in town for the rest of the year, as far as I know, unless something else pops up. And it could. You know, brooms fly in fast. Brooms fly out fast. Guess what? You bet. You guessed. It's the Willow Report. That little wiggly thing that gets so weird when I bring her into the Willow Report. Guess what? I just figured out why. Yes, these fabulous psychic mediums have been doing it forever. Sometimes forget to be psychic or medium. See how weird she is? See how she's looking backwards? She's in a fight with Belle, my haunted doll. And I didn't notice it for weeks on end. They along for some reason. I maybe some kind of sibling rivalry near the holidays. But where they were the bestest of friends, maybe it's because Willow is in that eight month, that independent teenager stay. But see how wiggly she gets nowhere else. It's because Belle is sitting right there. I guess I need to move Belle for next week's. But you guys, if you live in this haunted world that we all live in, watch your pets because they know they number one, they know when spirits are there. You watch your cat, you watch your dog. It's like, yeah, they're staring at nothing. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. They're probably staring at grandpa. And if you are one of us that have haunted items and haunted dolls, pay attention to your, your critters. Look at this. This is because of Belle. Maybe we'll have to experiment and move Belle. Belle, see, the problem is Belle likes being here. She has a beautiful chair upstairs, a beautiful antique rocking chair that's hers with all her favorite teddy bears up in my living room. 
But every time I try to take her up now, she wants to be here because I'm on this little Zoom screen all the time. So this is going to be an epic battle in the making. The haunted doll versus the dachshund puppy. Who's going to win? We will see. But at least I know why she's such a wiggle wart right here. That's the Willow part. Thank you for listening. What do you think I should do? What do you think we should do? The doll win? Willow win. Can't we all just get along? <laughs> okay, okay. Go, go, go. Um, but let's get into magic, shall we? Magic, this time of year, this is the under the mound time of year, um, when we go inward. And one good thing to go inward, and especially knowing my audience and who you guys are, you're, many of you are on spiritual paths, pagan paths, witchy paths, different paths, and you're pretty gifted. A lot of you have psychic abilities and mediumship abilities. And now in the dark time, when it's about turning your look in, this is a really good way and a really good time to practice your own psychic abilities and mediumship abilities. One good thing to do, and I'm going to have you do it right now, um, whether you're watching me on video or you're just listening, wherever you are standing right now, do a slow 360, looking at the room where you are. Like just lower your eyes, go around, go around. I can't do it too far from my microphone, but all the way around. And you're looking at your room. And now close your eyes. Now close your eyes. I want you to re-look at that room. What is coming up to you? Is it visual? Is it visual? Are you, is it, are you feeling emotions by it? Is there sounds attached? Do you remember hearing anything or feeling anything? A good way to do it a lot of, was there like, oh, heaviness in that corner of the room when I spun to the left. Oh, wow, I felt something. That's a good way to see your um, primary senses in our regular seeing, smelling, hearing, tasting. Because so many of them, and I bet you it's true for you guys, didn't even notice if you heard something. Or maybe you did. Didn't even notice if you smelled something. Or maybe you did. Or if you just felt something, if it was an emotion attached or just a knowing, I know what's going on in that corner. That corner is always warm or cold. Um, it's a really good way to see your strengths and see where you want to develop. And then you could take that into your day-to-day -day life, doing really fun things like having on your favorite radio station and going, I think they're going to play whatever song next. Or or reaching into a play of tech of playing cards and going, it's going to be a red card. It's going to be a black card. It's going to be a blue card. All these things, watching a candle flame burn and going, we're going to make the flame larger. We're going to make the flame smaller. The, the incense is going to waft to the left, waft to the right. Do a little scrying. Let your eyes glaze over, whether you're staring at incense or a candle or you have a crystal ball or looking into a little bowl of water. Scrying helps you. It's a form of meditation to go inside and look at yourself and what you are given by your guides, your higher self, God, God's whatever path you take. So do a little inside time. It's really, really fun. Crazy things like put a bunch of ribbons in a bag and then reach in and feel what feels like the red one. Is it the red one? Is it the green one? It's the purple one. You will be amazed how good you get at it when you're not looking at it, not our outside visual. And just the one rule is don't be afraid of being wrong. Because as soon as you're afraid of being wrong, your left brain gets involved, that how could I do it? And that shuts down the beautiful right intuitive brain. Make it okay to be wrong. The more it's okay to be wrong, 
less wrong you are. I had to learn that in my mediumship, whether it's one-on-one working with people with clients, whether it's 13 people around my dining room table, or whether it's in a theater with 1,200 people staring at me and the ghosts they brought along. You can't go, oh my gosh, is this going to be real? Oh my God, I, there is a giraffe in the room. I can't say there's a giraffe in the room. Who in the middle of this world would have a, gir- have a pet giraffe? If my logic went there, that happened to me once, but I said, just trust spirit, just trust my higher self. And I said, okay, somebody here has a pet giraffe. You know, they can think I'm crazy. And somebody there had a pet giraffe. They'd grown up in Africa. So it's learning to trust your intuition. That's what this going inward is. So make up games, notice things, take take walks, notice flowers. Flowers have a nice magic and energy to them. The detail of it. When you go home, try to remember them again. It's, it's working on your senses, both your live, th- you know, three-dimensional this world one, and then taking it into the other worlds. So... Go on the inside for a while. Your psychic ability, remember, what psychic means is you're able to perceive past, present, and future. Look at paths. Now, remember, future is not written in stone unless you are some A1 God or high creator. We have free will. So you could say the path you're on looks like this. Uh, That's what a psychic does. A medium speaks to the other side. Now, all mediums have psychic abilities. Not all psychics have mediumship abilities. But again, I think the majority of you guys listening to this show have got both. So it is something you can develop. It is something I think we are all born with. It just gets taught out of us in this modern, non-mystical Western society. So pick it back up. Commune with those elemental spirits hanging out in your backyard. Magic is everywhere, you guys. See what magic you have inside. And today I've got a really, really great one that I'm excited to get to know and more about his work as well. So let me introduce you to Jack Chanick. He's a third degree Gardnerian Wiccan, Kabbalist, academic philosopher, and he has a brand new book called Kabbalah for Wiccans putting them together. So welcome, Jack. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Patty. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, I just, when I saw the title of your book, it's like, oh, wow, that's like apples and oranges. But it isn't. We know it isn't. Those of us who study both, but you never really see it. Wicca always has this certain path to it. So how did this happen? Well, it happened precisely because people tend to think of them as apples and oranges, right? Um, A thing that I have noticed, I've been an apologist for Kabbalah sort of in Wiccan communities for years now. And, you know, I go around telling people like, no, I promise this is actually really interesting stuff. This is relevant to what you're doing. But I think so many people in Wicca, in paganism, in witchcraft more broadly, uh, get a little intimidated by Kabbalah, get turned off from it. And especially because uh, when you see, when you pick up an introductory Kabbalah book, a lot of it looks very different from the kind of magic that Wiccans are interested in, right? A lot of it involves names of God and archangels and choirs of angels and complicated tables of correspondences. And it all seems very intellectual. Sometimes it seems very Christian. Um, Kabbalah originates in uh, Jewish occultism, Jewish mysticism. And there, there is still a living Jewish tradition of Kabbalah that's sort of separate from the magical Kabbalah that other people practice. Um, but you know, that that version of Kabbalah for a lot of people looks really intimidating and looks so different from the magic that they're used to that they tend to think, oh, there can't be anything for me here. Right? Right. This, this is just something totally different and I shouldn't even bother trying to learn about it. 
And so I, I wrote this book largely because um, I was going around telling people like, no, 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 this is good stuff. This, this is relevant. This is interesting. This will help you. And eventually, you know, every now and then I would win someone over and they'd say, okay, like, where do I start? And I'd go, well, you know, I'm not really sure about that. <laughs> you know, all, all of the introductory Kabbalah books that are out there right now are written for a certain kind of ceremonial audience. They're not written for people who are interested in sort of witchcraft, low magic, Wicca, paganism. And I wanted a book that said, you know, in simple terms, here's what Kabbalah is. Here's how it's relevant to what you already do as a witch. And here's why it might be worth your time to spend some time studying this. I love it. So for anybody who doesn't know of, of, of my listeners, explain a little bit of what Kabbalah is. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so Kabbalah, like I said, originates in Jewish mysticism. Uh, you see in sort of medieval Europe, uh, particularly sort of down around Spain and the Iberian Peninsula, a particular kind of mysticism started to emerge in Jewish communities at the time. Um, and a lot of that was very closely focused on the Torah um, and sort of received wisdom in the Jewish tradition. So the word Kabbalah is actually derived from a Hebrew root that means to receive. Kabbalah is a body of received wisdom. And what happened a pretty much right as soon as Kabbalah was introduced in the Jewish community is we found, um, we found, I say as if I was there, uh, Christian communities saw this new version of mysticism that was emerging and sort of grabbed it and took it for themselves and said, ooh, this is mine now, um, which was a very common thing that happened in the Middle Ages right, the, the anti-Semitism of the Middle Ages was incredibly strong and incredibly prevalent. And there was this really overwhelming cultural effort to sort of eliminate or assimilate Jewish practices to, to sort of spread Christianity into what Judaism was. Um, and so a couple of things happened. One is that Judaism retained its practice of Kabbalah, and that practice is still alive today. It's still very much a, a, a thriving thing. But simultaneously, this other version of Kabbalah got incorporated into Christian mysticism. And then from Christian mysticism, it worked its way into Western magic more broadly. Uh, and so you find it in the works of very famous occult authors, um, like Cornelius Agrippa, like Eliphas Levi. Um, and these are figures, you, you may not be familiar with them if you're listening to this podcast, but these are figures who had a tremendous amount of influence over sort of the shape of magic in Europe throughout the you know, 16th through 19th centuries. And eventually Kabbalah works its way into the secret societies of late Victorian England. Um, and it becomes sort of a linchpin for magic and occultism in general. Uh, so one thing that a lot of these secret societies were really interested in doing was creating a grand unifying system of magic, something that brought together all the different strands of occultism from all over the European continent and made them into one cohesive system. And the thing that they used to bring that system all together was occult Kabbalah. So occult Kabbalah as it exists today looks very different from Jewish Kabbalah, even though if you go back you know, several hundred years, eventually they have the same origin. But occult Kabbalah is very much this 
magical compendium. I, I almost think of it as like a, an index system, like a card catalog that lets you store and organize information about magic, about occultism, about various pieces of esoteric lore. And it brings them all together in a way where you can relate bodies of information to each other. You can use them for spell work, for meditation, for prayer or ritual. Um, and it's really just a, a fascinating, impressive body of esoteric lore. Uh, and it's a way of organizing what you know about magic. Um, well, that is fascinating. And anything that unifies anything is really good because that's what we need in this world. So tell my listeners a little bit, like, how how is something that you say if in their day, daily practice, how would you uh, put a, a Kabbalistic practice into your maybe your daily Wiccan practice? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a lot of Kabbalah is organized around a central image that's called the Tree of Life that has sort of depictions of different kinds of magical or divine energy as they manifest in the world. And you can draw on the symbols of those different kinds of energy in your ordinary day-to-day -day practice, in meditation, in ritual, and so on. Uh, so there's one kind of energy on the tree of life that is associated with grounding and presence in the physical world and sort of bringing the divine and divine consciousness into the real manifest world. And so this is an exercise that I have in the book. But uh, one thing you can do is you can draw on that energy and you can do a grounding meditation with it. Just a real simple sort of bringing your consciousness into alignment and finding your center. Um, and you can use the symbols of Kabbalah to help bring you into that centered, grounded space. Whether that's certain kinds of color correspondences, certain kinds of words of power that you might use, or even just repeating an action a certain number of times. So for example, in Kabbalah, the number that's associated with this particular kind of energy, this grounding energy, is the number 10. So you might do just a real simple grounding exercise where you would say to yourself 10 times in a row, I am grounded, I am stable, I am here. And you would just say that 10 times as you focus your consciousness, and then you know, you've, you've done a very simple Kabbalistic meditation. That is beautiful. And who doesn't need grounding in the year 2021? <laughs> <laughs> ah, um, that, I love that. And for those who don't know, look up the Kabbalistic, the tree of life. It looks like, I want to say Tinker Toys kind of put together, but nobody knows what Tinker Toys are anymore. <laughs> but, you know, these little circles and these little lines. But look, check it out if you don't know and you're interested. It really is a beautiful system within itself. That's why I'm so intrigued how you put it together. So how could somebody, okay, say, how could you incorporate it into ritual? Yeah, wonderful. Um, so I do this uh, in, in the book I go through, and I talk about all the different components of Wiccan ritual, and I break them down and think about how they relate to Kabbalah, how they connect into Kabbalah. Um, so, you know, taking just another example, uh, it's unfortunately, it's a little difficult to talk about the Tree of Life on a podcast because we don't have a visual, but <clears throat> there's a sphere on the Tree of Life. There's a kind of divine energy on the Tree of Life that's all about liminality and sort of the space in between spaces that's associated with psychic power, intuition, dreams, and so on. And so one thing that I talk about um, quite a bit is if you do any kind of casting a circle before you're doing a ritual 
or even if you don't cast a circle, but you do something to bring yourself into a liminal space, if you have ritual actions that mark the space where you're doing ritual as separate from the ordinary world, as liminal, as being in this kind of gray, fluid area where you know anything can happen and you're outside of ordinary space and time, what you're doing is you're drawing the energy of this particular sphere, which is called Yesod, into your ritual when you perform that action. And you're kind of doing it whether you know it or not, right? You're, you're drawing on that liminal energy. And to do it Kabbalistically is to do it with a shift in consciousness where you're aware that that's what you're doing and where you focus on doing it in a Kabbalistic way. And once again, you can incorporate particular colors, numbers, shapes, certain kinds of incense. You know, the, the thing about Kabbalah is there were correspondences up the wazoo and you can use as many or as few of those as you like. Um, but, you know, poppies are traditionally associated with this sphere on the tree of life. And so you might use poppies or jasmine in making an incense to help you sort of consecrate your ritual space. And that would bring you into a liminal space as you prepare to walk between the worlds. Um, you can also use the color purple. So a lot of people like to visualize light surrounding them when they cast a circle of any kind. And one thing that I talk about in the book, uh, I've used it myself, I think it's quite effective, is to focus on a purple light as you're casting that space. Purple being sort of the color that brings you into liminality and psychism. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. So you have in your book, what are some of the chapters like? Is it like doing just that? Do you have different rituals and different spells? And how would you bring it into a spell working thing? Yeah, absolutely. So the book is structured largely as an introduction to the tree of life. So the tree of life has 10, they're called spherot or spheres, um, each of which is a different kind of magical and divine energy. And so a lot of the book walks you through these 10 spheres, talks about what each of them is like on its own, right? So the energy of this sphere has to do with you know, compassion and giving and mercy. And um, the energy of this sphere has to do with you know, harshness and discipline and rules. But it also talks about the way that these spheres relate to each other, the way that thinking about compassion and mercy changes when you look at it in light of its relationship with discipline and rules. And so a lot of the book is introducing you to the general concepts, the general structure of the tree of life so that you're familiar with it and you can develop kind of an intuitive response to it to work on it on your own. Um, each chapter includes exercises that you can do, exercises or meditations that you can use to connect to the energy of particular spheres as well as sample pieces of ritual that you can use um, that break down the various components of Wiccan ritual. So I have a circle casting ritual, I have a ritual to invoke the gods, I have a ritual to sort of make a particular kind of petition, I have a ritual to choose a magical name, and all of these things I talk about how they might be understood in Kabbalistic terms and how you can bring in Kabbalistic symbolism to enrich that work. Uh, for spell work, I have a whole chapter dedicated just to how to cast a spell in a Kabbalistic way. And a lot of it is you use a certain set of correspondences and you bring them into your magic. 
So most spell work, there, people cast spells in different ways, but a lot of the way that people cast a spell, very, very basically, is that you decide what you want and you form some kind of a symbolic connection to it. Right. So so if you want a spell to you find a new home, right, you're moving and you want to buy a house, you might build a little miniature house out of popsicle sticks and focus on sort of putting your power into this house being like the house that you want to get. And then you would ritually do something with that house to signify the change that you want to see. Uh, so you might take like a little doll that looks like you and put it inside the house to show that you're moving into the new place. And the idea is that you make a symbolic connection so that whatever happens to this little miniature you've created is also going to happen in the wider world. And the thing that Kabbalah does is it gives you a whole set of new symbols you can use to introduce them into your spell work to make different kinds of connections. So you can use a particular kind of incense, you can use a particular color, you can use certain herbs or crystals. Um, like I said earlier, you can repeat a ritual action a certain number of times. And all of these different things will help you connect to a particular kind of energy. So in the case of making a little popsicle stick house and moving yourself into it, um, that to me is something that's very grounded, that's very physical, it's about your environment. And so I would draw on the energy of the sephira that's associated with grounding and physicality. And I might paint the house in certain colors so that you're making a deeper symbolic connection to a big, big pool of magical energy that has the kind of power that you want to bring into your spell. That is beautiful. And now we have sawing, no dog. So I'm just gonna keep going. So I like when you keep talking and keep talking because I'm muting my thing in between. Um, so, okay. So, uh, so how did you get on your path? Well, I like to know about my beautiful guests, especially my accomplished ones, my published authors. How, how did you find this world? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually came into Wicca through Kabbalah and I came into Kabbalah through tarot. So I started reading tarot when I was, I don't know, maybe 11 years old. And it was because my parents were big James Bond fans. And in the movie Live and Let Die, Jane Seymour plays a tarot reader. And I was just in love. I was just dazzled by, by this character that she played, wanted to grow up to be just like her. And so I convinced my parents to buy me a tarot deck. And I grew up reading tarot. I've, I've been reading tarot since I was a kid. And it's, it's so ingrained in the way I think about the world now. And as I was learning tarot, as I was practicing tarot on my own, I was looking for deeper, more complex ways to engage with the cards, to enrich my readings. And because I didn't have a lot of money, I was mostly relying on public domain sources that were available online. And a lot of those come from um, Kabbalistic sources. So in particular, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was one of these secret societies in late 19th century England uh, that did a lot of Kabbalistic magic. And they also had a tremendous amount of influence on the development of tarot as we know it today. So Arthur Edward Waite, who was the uh, deck creator of the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot, which is sort of the most famous tarot deck we have, uh, he was actually a member of this Order of the Golden Dawn, and he was a Kabbalistic magician. So in trying to learn about tarot, I started to learn about Kabbalah, and I got really, really interested in it. 
And then from Kabbalah, I started to get interested in magic more broadly, in paganism, in spellcraft. And eventually, I, when I moved to New York, I found my way into a, a Wiccan group and I joined a Wiccan coven. Um, and it really wouldn't have happened if I hadn't cultivated that interest in magic with Kabbalah to start with. So part of why I've always had Kabbalah so near and dear to my heart in the Wiccan community is that that's how I ended up where I am today. I love that kind of ask backwards for most people. They like, oh, what's this Wicca thing, this popular belief system, which, and then they they grow from there. And oh, I'm going to learn tarot because that's what witches do. So that is awesome. I I absolutely adore that. Um, so 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 tarot. So tarot does tarot correlate into kabbalistic work? I am so glad you asked. Yes, it absolutely <laughs> does. It absolutely does. Um, so tarot has every card in the tarot deck corresponds to some part of the tree of life. So on the tree of life, there are 10, sphero, 10 spheres of divine energy. Uh, and those correspond to the numbers of the minor arcana, ace through 10. And then each of the court cards corresponds to certain of the spheres as well. And on top of that, between these 10 spheres on the tree of life, there are 22 different, they're called paths, there were sort of bridges that link up the different spheres on the Tree of Life, which is why you said they look like Tinker Toys, right? There, there are these little spheres with sticks in between them that connect them all up to each other. And the 22 paths on the Tree of Life, of course, connect to the 22 major arcana cards in the tarot deck. Um, and so every part of the Tree of Life is linked up with every card in the tarot and vice versa. And, um, some people struggle with this because it, it can be more of an intellectual way to think about tarot. When you're actually reading tarot, a lot of the time you just pull the cards and you let your intuition guide you, right? You, you want to be in the moment and you want to accept what the cards are telling you. And you don't necessarily want to stop and be like, well, the five of cups corresponds to Gavuha, but over here we have the fool and that's on the path between Keter and Chochmah. Like, it can be very intellectual. And for that reason, a lot of people can worry that it's not going to um, be useful to them when they're trying to read tarot. Because ultimately, right, all any of us want out of magic is things that are gonna help us, things that are gonna be useful to us. Um, and, you know, Tables of correspondences are all well and good, but if you don't ever actually use them, then there's no point to it. Um, but I find that knowing the Kabbalistic correspondences and just having those in the back of my head does actually help a lot when I'm reading tarot because it lets me draw connections that might not be easily seen otherwise. So just as one example, because of complicated Kabbalistic correspondences, all of the knights in the tarot deck uh, are very similar to the sixes. So the, the knights of you know, the minor arcana, the court cards, share a certain kind of energy with the sixes of their respective suits. They're, they're placed in the same part of the tree of life. So if you think about the knight of wands, he's this very brave, brash, adventurous figure he has something in common with the Six of Wands, which is a card of victory and power and sort of success at what you're doing, right? You think about the Knight of Swords, who is this very inquisitive, inquiring, sort of questioning figure who wants to go out and tear down all of the old structures and build up new ones, and he's full of ideas and inventions. 
he has a lot in common with the Six of Swords, which is all about shifting your perspective and moving from one shore to the other and seeing things in a new way. And so just having those little correspondences in the back of my mind from studying the Kabbalistic aspect of tarot, I find has given me a different and I think a richer perspective on what the cards mean and what they can signify when they show up in a reading. Because if I see the Knight of Wands and the Six of Wands both in the same reading, that tells me that there's a lot of that energy going on. And the different places where I see those cards are gonna have something to do with each other. And that can be really useful. I love that because I mean, I've been reading for tarot forever and I've never put the Knights with the Sixes and you're so right, what a correspondence there. So it's just putting layers on top of, of what you do. So is there, okay, I know a, a lot of typical Wiccan, again, very simplified in a lot of ways. So if somebody is like intimidated, like, do I have to learn all the colors and I have to learn the planets? Is is it something that you go, I have to memorize or I have to do like a lesser about, I have to do these exact things or it can be looser or is it a system? Yeah, that no, that's a wonderful question. And it's really, really important. I designed this book not to require memorization, right? This book is the Kabbalah book that I wish I had had when I was starting out, which means that it's not just table after table after table of correspondences with a little note that says, learn all of these and then come back to me. Uh, because that's not useful. That's not a helpful way to learn. So what I do is I walk through every one of these spheres, every one of these types of divine energy on its own. And I say, let's just talk about what the energy is. Let's just talk about what the themes are, what the feeling is, what the the for lack of a better word, the vibe is that we've got going on here. And once we understand that, then the correspondences sort of fall into place after that. The correspondences are meant to, to help you because they come out of the basic nature of different types of energy on the tree of life. It's not the other way around. So if you learn the energy first, and then I say, well, okay, there are astrological correspondences on the tree of life. So this sphere that we have that's associated with psychic power, dreams, intuition, and so on, astrologically, that's associated with the moon. And if you already understand this theme of psychic power and intuition, um, then connecting that to the moon will probably make sense, right? It feels more comfortable than if I just gave you a list of correspondences and said, well, Yesod connects to the moon and the color purple and to this flower and so, you know, all of that information is meaningless if you don't have the context of why these correspondences are in place. So I start with, let's just talk about what the theme is and what the energy is. And then bit by bit, I, I have a whole chapter where I just say, we're gonna introduce a few of the correspondences here and walk through why they are what they are because of the energy of the spheres that we've already learned. And then from there, you can sort of build it as much or as little as you like. You can just use very basic correspondences. You can start to learn more complicated ones. And also you can form correspondences of your own. Uh, and this is, I think, a really important point in magic, right? Um, reading a correspondence out of a book, if it doesn't hit you in here, sorry, I'm, I'm gesturing to my chest for those who can't see. Uh, if it doesn't hit you in your heart, if it doesn't feel right to you, it's not necessarily gonna work great for your magic. So by understanding the power, the nature of these divine energies, and then saying, okay, this sphere is associated with intuition and dreams. And well, you know what? What I really associate with that is 
white roses. Then you can bring white roses in as a correspondence for yourself to start to draw on that particular kind of divine energy, even if that's not a correspondence that's found anywhere in a book. And you can still use it for your magic because it is ultimately your magic. I think it's always really important in magic to understand that there's a balance between, you know, let's read the books, let's learn things that other people say have worked for them, um, because we, we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. But also, let's do what feels right for us and what works for us. And maybe that's going to be something that you haven't found in a book. So I'm so excited. I can't wait to read your book. <laughs> um, so do you have what's next for you? Do you have another plan, another book coming out? I do have another book coming out. I haven't even begun to promote it yet because I've been so on top of, of the Kabbalah book. But um, in May of 2022, actually, I have a tarot book coming out. Uh, and it's called Tarot for Real Life. And it's just an introductory tarot book walking through, you know, very basically, here's what tarot is, here's how to use it. And I walk through it um, with the four elements. So I start out with the, the earthy practical aspects of tarot and here's how to choose a tarot deck and how to shuffle the cards and the basics of how to read. And then I do the sort of airy intellectual, here's what spreads are, here's, you know, and then I do the emotional, watery, intuitive parts of tarot reading. And I just walk through different approaches to how to read tarot so that at the end of the book, you can piece that all together and have sort of the whole picture. So I'm very, very excited about that. And that comes out in May. Awesome. Well, will you come back and talk about that in May or getting ready to release it? <laughs> I would be absolutely delighted. Okay, because I know I, I'm excited so that I know my listeners and my watchers are excited too. So if people want to know more about you, more about your book before we get going, how can people find you? What's your social media, websites, all that stuff we do in the year 2021? <laughs> So I have a website. Um, I have a blog that I run. It's called, um, you, can, you can find it just by searching my name because it's a fairly unusual name, Jack Chanek, C-H-A-N-E-K. Uh, but the, the actual website is jackofwandstarot.wordpress.com. Um, wands as in the suit of wands from the tarot. And that's mostly a tarot blog. Uh, I write a lot about tarot. I have some individual reflections. I have some spreads that I've posted there, reviews of various decks, um, and also some rambling thoughts about Kabbalah and Wicca and various other magical things. I'm also on Facebook, uh, Jack Chanek. I think it's facebook.com slash Jack of Wands. Uh, I'm on YouTube. I have a handful of videos where I talk about various topics associated with witchcraft, magic, and tarot. Uh, and then I'm also on Twitter, and it's at Jack underscore of underscore wands. Unfortunately for that one, Jack of Wands was already taken when I signed up for Twitter, so I had to be inventive. But yep, that's my social media. I am not on Instagram. People keep telling me that I should be, um, but I'm not hip enough for Instagram. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not with it enough. I'm always like five to 10 years behind the social media trends. It's okay. I think you're hip enough. I'm not hip and I'm on Instagram, but it's still, it is a lot. So that's okay. But you know, guys, check him out. Well, look for the blog, look for his website. Um, thank you so much, Jack. I can't wait to read your book, both books when they come out. So everybody check out Jack Chanick. Thank you for visiting the witching hour. Any last words? Thank you so much. Thank you so, so much for having me on, Patty. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Well, that's a good last word. All right. Thank you. Bye.